Hey, good morning. If you had the chance before the pandemic began to do a little bit of preparation, I wonder what you would have prepared. Maybe you would have bought some toilet paper, hand soap, some canned goods. But I wonder if we would have prepared in a way to make life rich and full during our quarantine. Now, if you could come back from the future a few months from now and tell your past self how to prepare for quarantine, I bet you would do a much better job. Sometimes having a view of the meantime from the future gives us a better insight into how to prepare to make life meaningful in the meantime. Starting today and working through the next few weeks, we're going to have a series called In the Meantime where we're looking at what God might be wanting to do in us and through us and to us as we wait in a time that can really seem like it's wasted. I wonder what God wants to do in you, how he wants to grow you, what the purpose of this time is. In fact, this is a great way of thinking about life on earth you've been saved. You've been raised with Christ, as Colossians 3 says. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you too will appear in glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a great spiritual truth, a great reality in the spiritual realm. But what does it mean for life here in the earthly realm? What difference does it make? Sometimes you might think that our faith as Christians is all about getting to heaven when we die, that the Bible is just a book about teaching you how to get to heaven. And yet it's about so much more than this. In fact, the Bible very rarely talks about going to heaven. Today's scripture reading from Acts chapter 1 is one of only one or two places in the whole Bible that even talks about anybody going to heaven. I know that sounds confusing, but it's the truth. And today as we read these verses together, we're going to see that even the person who goes to heaven isn't staying there forever. I want to do a thought experiment together this morning and maybe have some fun with it. And then we'll get into our text, and I'll introduce this series. I would love for you to write down three or four things that if you could come back from the future and tell yourself to prepare for the pandemic, how to prepare for the pandemic, what would be your top three or four items that you would tell yourself to do? So go ahead and get some paper and pens out and pause this sermon video at any moment right here and do this as a family or do this uh, with whoever you might be able to exchange some text messages with this morning and share some of the things that you would tell your past self. Okay, pause the video. All right, now I hope you had some fun doing that little thought experiment. What ended up on your list? I bet for some of us, probably almost all of us, buy toilet paper was on the list. I'm sure make a Sam's run was on the list. Maybe you told yourself to get out of the stock market or to invest a little bit of money in Zoom 
the conferencing app because of the way that it's going to boom in the future. Maybe you told yourself it's the right time to buy the pet. You're finally going to have the time to spend with it, to train it, to walk it. Those walks are going to become clutch in the future. You're really going to rely on them and need them. Maybe you told yourself to get a stack of books, really great books or classic movies, the kind that you always have wanted to read or watch but never found the time to. I bet that what you decided or, or gave advice to your past self had to do not just with mere survival but with living a rich and full time in between. This meantime could be barely getting by. Sheet of toilet paper a day, open up a can of soup a day, and just hold out, hunker down, bunker in until it's all over. But we all sense that life is meant for more than that. So, in this thought experiment, I'm sure that you could see the value of having life enrichment, deep and meaningful transformation. And, and what I want you to really be thinking about is how God is doing that from the inside out to make you and me and all of us as His church something gloriously new and better and fresher, back to the basics that really matter about life and family and church when we come out of this pandemic and this quarantine time. I wonder what we would tell our past selves if we could come back from far in the future, from the world to come, raised with Christ, not just in the spirit, but in the body also. What would we tell ourselves this time is meant for? What is this life in between meant for? It seems that maybe we have missed the point of the Bible, that we think this is a book about just getting to heaven, about just saving our soul. In fact, I've heard people say so many times that this book is a manual or a guidebook on how to get to heaven when you die. And the problem is this book doesn't talk that way. It very rarely says anything about getting to heaven or as if the earth doesn't matter, God's creation doesn't matter, as if creation is someday going to be canceled and exchanged for just a heavenly reality. And so kicking off today's series, this series is called In the Meantime. Well, today's message is called Life Isn't Canceled. You see, God's creation never gets canceled in the story of Scripture. Remember that in Genesis 1, God made everything with so much love and passion. Each day, He sees what He's made and He says, that is good. Day 2, He says, that is good. Day 3, that is good. Six days, He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And finally, when He makes mankind, it's very good. God loves His creation. And the story of Scripture from beginning to end is not about God abandoning life. It is about God rescuing life, redeeming life, restoring life, taking life that was corruptible and making it incorruptible, clothing it with more glory than it had before. Even in the New Testament, when we hear Jesus talk about what is to come, he calls it the restoration of all things. John, the apostle, when he writes the Revelation, says, Behold, I'm making all things new. 
This is the voice from the heavenly throne, making all things new. He sees a vision of the new heavens and the new earth, where the holy city Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth to be with the people of God. God's voice from the throne says, now God's dwelling will be with man and he will be their God. Peter famously writes about the destruction of this present world by fire. He says that the past world was destroyed in water and the flood of Noah and this present one will be burned, it will be melted, it will be purified by fire. But remarkably, what Peter says after that is, and then there will be a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Isaiah the prophet talks about this new heaven and this new earth. David in the Psalms believes beyond unbelief, somehow pressing in to something he wasn't instructed in. David believes that the Holy One of God, his body won't see decay, God won't abandon him to the grave, that he will somehow raise him up. Job in the Old Testament, probably not even knowing what this means, says that he knows he'll stand in his flesh face to face with God, that someday he will be in front of God again. And in Acts chapter 1, which is today's reading, we see how important this kind of thinking is for living in the meantime, that life isn't canceled and creation isn't canceled. This is the core message that Jesus gives to his confused and wearied apostles about 40 days after his resurrection. In my former book, Luke writes, Theophilus, that means lover of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus is far from done, Luke writes. Jesus is just getting started when he says it is finished at the cross until the day that Jesus was taken up from heaven. Now it's true that Luke wrote about this in his former book. His former book is what we call the Gospel of Luke. And let me read you some verses from the end of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24, in verse 44, Jesus has appeared to his followers and he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. All of the Old Testament teachings leading to Jesus uh, needed to be understood by these apostles. They didn't yet grasp what all of this was for. And he tells them this is what was written, that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, this worldwide project. We call it the Great Commission. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I've commanded you. I'll be with you always. The Great Commission, important plan of Jesus. And he says it here in different words, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in all the world, to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Comforter. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then he leads them out to the vicinity of Bethany, lifts up his hands to bless them. And while he is blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Okay, they worship, they return to Jerusalem, they have joy, they stay continually at the temple, and they're praising God. Meanwhile, what are they supposed to do? 
When Luke picks up his second volume, what we call the book of Acts, he says, Theophilus, this is where I left you. That Jesus, until the day he was taken up into heaven, uh, was doing and teaching many things. And that he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. But now Luke continues the story. What comes next? Where is this all going? Verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Even after Jesus is raised from the dead, he's teaching for the next 40 days to his apostles about the kingdom of God. They still have so much to learn, so much growth to encounter, so much more than just make a faith decision so that your souls are saved and someday I'll come take you to heaven. In fact, Jesus has a plan to unleash the kingdom into the world. Do you remember his prayer that he taught the disciples? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is intimately interested in what is true in heaven becoming true on earth. Not just escaping earth to get to heaven, but bringing it here, ushering it in now. And so he teaches them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. Remember Luke 24, this is the same story going on. Jesus, one time while eating, told them, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. For, he says, John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they gathered around him. They had questions to ask. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, he says it again. The Holy Spirit is coming to guide you into some work, some ministry, some meaningful life. What do you need in the meantime? The Holy Spirit. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you can see that in Luke 24 and in Acts 1, Luke is purposefully overlapping his story to Theophilus so that Theophilus will be reminded of where we left off. We left off with Jesus telling the apostles, this is not the end of our work. It's the beginning of our work of worldwide transformation. Starting here and moving throughout the whole world, you're going to usher in the kingdom of God we've been praying for, teaching people how to live in the meantime. What is this in-between time about? If you're raised with Christ spiritually, but not yet in the physical body, the future resurrection, and we're still living between now and the end date of this world, or the expiration of your life, what is the meantime for? And Jesus says it's for witnessing. I want to point out three things real quick from this text that Jesus says it's this and it's not that. Or at least because he says it's this, we can eliminate this other thing. Jesus says that this is about witnessing. You are going to witness about me in the Holy Spirit's power throughout the world. Now, sometimes we have come under 
this uh, Christian worldview belief that our job in the meantime is to be engaging in some kind of cultural warfare in which we've got to establish certain morals or certain ethics in the world through the force of politics or through the sheer force of influence uh, or in some other way that our job is cultural warfare. Uh, this is one idea. Another idea which is present in this text is the disciples thinking that maybe it's literal warfare, that the kingdom of God is going to be restored to Israel. Look at again verse 6. They say, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now we know from the history of Jewish expectation this could mean several things. The Essene people who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls seem to think that the coming of God back into the world, that his presence and his Messiah would lead them to be separate from the world so they would go off in the desert, live on their own, and not be polluted by the Romans. Uh, this might be similar to our cultural warfare idea that we have now. It's either our job to overwhelm the world's way of doing and seeing things, or it's our job to remove ourselves and run away from the world's way of doing things. And the Essenes kind of represented, let's run away. Others like the Zealots were the ones who were like, let's take literal warfare to the Romans, let's slit throats in the night, and, and let's have Israel become the world power again as a kingdom that subjugates other nations. Jesus is going to say to them gently, it is not about that. This time in between is not about the nation of Israel destroying the other nations and subjugating them through warfare. But sometimes what happens in our Christian imagination is because it's not about literal warfare or literal nations destroying other nations, we then totally spiritualize this so that we think that what's happening here is just either escape or cultural warfare. And really these are not what Jesus is pointing at. Look at what he is pointing at. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is going to be a program of transforming the world through witnessing, not through warfare, but through witnessing. What does it mean to be a witness? It means to say, this is what I've seen, touched, heard. These are the foundational truths of my life. What I can tell you is what I have seen. What I can tell you is what has worked for me. What I can tell you is what has been transforming for me. This is the mode that these disciples are going to use to change the world. Witnessing, not warfare. And witnessing, not running away. Witnessing is going to be the key. So witnessing is Jesus' primary method and mode. And I wonder, right now, while we're sitting in our homes in quarantine, if we could be working on understanding the story of Jesus and understanding what that has done to me, what I've seen, heard, touched with my own mind, my own heart, my own lips, my own hands, what has happened in my life that is worth sharing. I wonder if right now God wants to redeem the meantime by helping us improve our witness. I, I bet that he does. But there's something else in this text I want us to see that this story is about bringing heaven to earth, not about escaping to it. I've already said this several times today, but look at how it shows up in this text today. Verse 9, 
after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? What are you looking at? What are you looking for? What do you, what do you think is about to happen? What do you think comes next? Why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, the same Jesus who you saw has been taken into the sky, taken from you into heaven, the Greek word uranos, which means sky or heaven. Same word here. Okay. He's been taken into the sky. He's been taken into heaven. This is one of the only places in the entire New Testament when anybody goes to heaven. The Bible never says the phrase, go to heaven when you die, and it very rarely even says, go into heaven. This person goes into heaven. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, our risen Lord and Savior, goes into heaven, and the message the two angels say to them is this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now, the cultural story that we've been trained in says, of course he's coming back. He's coming back so that you'll be caught up in the air and you'll be whisked off to heaven with him. Except the New Testament never says this. What the New Testament says is we'll be caught up to meet him and then the holy city Jerusalem comes down and God says now his dwelling will be with men. That there's a new heaven and a new earth and a resurrected body that's incorruptible. In other words, creation isn't canceled. God hasn't given up on this project. The reason this is so important is that salvation is not about escape. Salvation is actually about staying and transforming God's creation into the plan and the place that he had always intended for it to be. When salvation is about escape, something can happen to our expectation. It doesn't always happen, but it can happen, which is that we think the whole purpose of the Bible is about getting me out of here. The whole purpose of the scriptures is a manual to get me to heaven when I die this can become incredibly self-serving. I want to call something the way that I think it is, which is that when we want God for his benefits and not for the transformed life that he's calling us into, when I think this book and this ministry of Jesus on the cross is all about getting me out of here and into heaven when I die, Thank you very much, God, for doing that for me. Now I just have to wait things out until you come rescue me from this terrible world. I can actually turn pretty selfish. And I don't think that's probably the kind of person Jesus is looking to turn us into. When he teaches us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. I think he has in mind that we become agents of this kingdom now, witnesses of it in the meantime, who aren't just looking to escape, but who are looking to invest, looking to stay in the city, in the world, to make a difference for it. One of the prophetic texts that I love so much is Jeremiah 29. 
Jeremiah uh, writes a letter to the exiles who are in Babylon who are asking, what do we do in the meantime? And their answers from some of their, their prophets who weren't actually talking to God, weren't listening to God, the answers they're getting from their prophets are, stay separate from the Babylonians, don't get involved while you're here, live apart from them, and do your very best just to stay in, uh, not corrupted, uncorrupted by them, and eventually, hopefully, God will rescue you from here. Jeremiah, who's full of the Holy Spirit, says, no, no, no. He writes them a letter in which he instructs them, build homes, invest in the city that you have been taken to in exile, marry, give your children in marriage, plant gardens, invest in your city, pray for it and bless it, because as you are blessed and as you bless the city, then God will return and recycle those blessings to you. Be people of transformation in your exile. This is a great message for people in quarantine who are asking, what do we do in the meantime? This is a great message for people in the world who have been saved by knowing Jesus and asking, what do we do until we get to go to heaven? Actually, the plan isn't about escaping, it's about transforming. Now, this is so, just a, such a wonderful verse for this because it says the same Jesus that you've seen taken into heaven will come back in the same way. You see, the Jesus that was taken from heaven and the way he was taken from heaven was not as a disembodied person. It was as an embodied, resurrected person who could eat fish in Luke chapter 24, who cooks and prepares fish for breakfast for his friends in the last chapters of the Gospel of John. I want to turn and look at something in John in a second, but one more thing before we go there. This whole program, according to Jesus, of transforming the world is not to be done by human effort. It is to be Holy Spirit led. And we cannot say this enough times, that if this is not a Holy Spirit program, it is a broken program. If this is not a Holy Spirit-led church, it's not a church worth being part of. If we aren't transforming the world in Holy Spirit ways, Holy Spirit-led, we're trying to do it by merely human efforts. And this is not God's plan for the world. We might try to use the efforts of reasoning and reason people into the kingdom of God. We might try to prove to them scientifically that the Bible is reasonable, or we might try to argue with them about morality and ethics, but very few people come into the kingdom of God. I know there, there seems to be some exceptions, but very few people come into the kingdom of God because they've been argued with and because we've tried to talk them down or reason them down or debate them. This is not a good witness. A good witness is to say, through the Holy Spirit's leading, here is what God has done in me, what I have seen and touched and felt about Jesus. I would rather be led by the Holy Spirit in these days of quarantine and these days of sojourning in the earth until the world to come, in majoring in Jesus. I want to be a person who takes seriously all the days of my quarantine to be majoring in Jesus. I want to know his words. I want to read the gospels again and again, not just for rote memorization or for making doctrinal arguments or even for making human appeals from the heart, 
but so that the Holy Spirit can instruct my heart. The Holy Spirit can call me back to remembering the words of Jesus that I've heard, the actions of Jesus that I've witnessed, the way that Jesus has touched my mind and my heart and my hands through these gospel books, these beautiful books that witness and testify about him. I want to major in Jesus so that I look like him, I sound like him, I act like him, I'm growing to be formed to his image, and so that what people notice about me is not that I'm growing in Bible knowledge or fervor, not that I'm necessarily even doing anything miraculous because that hasn't become evident in my life, but that I'm becoming like Jesus. I want when people encounter me, not for me to walk into Starbucks and give them a life-changing sentence and then say, don't you want to accept Jesus right now? I don't want to batter down people's defenses with cunning words or clever arguments. I want to be the person of peace in the presence of wherever I'm at, who is Jesus with both his his prophetic, loving truth that cuts to the heart, as well as his calm and pastoral presence that serves the heart and empathizes with it. I want to be what the Holy Spirit leads me to be by majoring in Jesus. But the only way I do this is encountering him over and over and over again through the pages of these Gospels. There is no other way that we know how to do it. It's got to be a Holy Spirit way. And these are the words that he's given us. And these are the the books that he's given us. And I want to be soaked in them for transformation. Church, I hope that you want the same thing. Now let me read just a little bit from John chapter 21 about uh, the meanwhile that these apostles were caught up in uh, before Jesus tells them, go wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. On the night of Easter, Jesus is raised from the dead that morning. The women from the tomb go and they preach the gospel message for the first time to the apostles. They come to the apostles and they tell them that they've seen the Lord. It's the first time anybody gets to share the gospel. And the apostles themselves uh, aren't sure what to think about this. They're in fear and they're in a locked room and they're waiting and this is the meanwhile. This is the in the meantime for them. And I don't know what they're doing up there. Whether they're still arguing about who's the greatest Maybe you've got one of them who's over here making wisecracks and jokes, trying to lighten the mood while everyone else is pretty somber. I know I've been writing a lot of jokes while we've been in quarantine, but I can't share any of them with you because they're all inside jokes. I'm just going to let that hang out there for a minute. We don't know what they're doing in this upper room except for that they're afraid. They're anxious. Their meantime is not being transforming in a healthy way, but it's full of anxiety and fear. And Jesus comes into the room, miraculously. He shows up. He says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his side, the continuity between his uh, body before resurrection and his body after resurrection. Peace be with you, he said. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. See, to be my witnesses. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Jesus tells the apostles here in this upper room on Easter Sunday that they are sent as he is sent with the Holy Spirit and they have been given transforming power to forgive sins. He says if you, with the Holy Spirit's leading, forgive people of their sins, they are forgiven. 
This is world transforming power, guys. Think about it. What if right now God came to you and he said, all of these people that you see in the world that are chained, that are imprisoned, that are broken, I'm giving you the power to go to them and to forgive their sins, to release them from the bondage to death and the power of sin and death that they've been held in fear to. Would you sit on the couch and do nothing with that? This is what Jesus appoints and prepares and equips the apostles to do. He says, I'm, in other places, he said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He says it in a different way here. That if you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. But if you forgive them, they're forgiven. This is world-transforming potential. This is not just merely escape and get to heaven and, and survive and you know, try not to get singed on the way. This is, let's take this world with the witness of mercy and love. And as the story continues, Thomas, who's not with him at this moment, when he meets back up with him, he says, I don't believe this. I'm not sure I can believe any of this unless I touch him and I see him myself. So Jesus reappears again a week later. Now we're one week out from Easter right now. This Sunday is one week after Easter. So even though we don't know exactly when Easter was, Let's map it, right? This would be the Sunday that the Doubting Thomas incident occurs. He's been waiting for a week. Meanwhile, what have they been doing? And Jesus shows up to him and he says again, Peace be with you. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus says, You're blessed. Because you've seen me and you've believed, but even more blessed or blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So this is you and this is me who haven't had the chance to touch his side, haven't had a chance to touch his hands and his feet. And he said to these apostles, I'm sending you out with the Holy Spirit to transform the world. And then he says to Thomas, you know, you're, you're blessed, you believe, but blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed. Wow, this is you and this is me. Witnesses in his world. What does he want to do in us and through us now? I think he wants us to major in Jesus. I think he wants us to soak up his words, to soak up his actions. And so often, we just spend time worrying that we haven't done good enough for God to love us or to let us into heaven when we die because we have been mistakenly thinking that this is all just about getting into heaven. When he says to you, you're raised with Christ now, the assurance of your salvation is already set now since you've been raised with him. And and we spend time going, but I'm not sure I've done good enough. I have a lot of sin. I, I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if Jesus loves me. And in John 21, there's one more story where Peter takes six of his buddies and they go fishing again. And Jesus shows up. This is the third time that he appears to them. They see him uh, on the beach. He gives them fishing advice. When the fishing advice works, Peter goes, it's the Lord. He realizes it's the Lord. And he he jumps into the water. He, He runs on the shore. And there's a fire. Jesus is preparing breakfast. He's got fish for them to eat. And he feeds them. Because this is what's going to happen in the life to come. Is God doesn't abandon His creation. We're going to enjoy the best breakfast of our existence when we're in the world to come with Jesus. 
He prepares this breakfast for them, and then he takes Peter aside. Peter, who a few days from now is going to give that first gospel sermon in Acts 2. Peter, who a few days from now is going to be on the mountain watching him ascend into heaven and see the angels saying he's coming back just the way that he left. He's coming back to save and redeem this world and make all things new, not to abandon it. And Peter is struggling in the meantime because of guilt, because he betrayed Jesus. And Jesus does not make this conversation about what Peter has to do to get into heaven. He makes this conversation about what Peter can do to make a difference in the world. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, you, you know that I care about you. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Jesus, you know that I care about you a lot. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter was hurt the third time because Jesus said again, do you love me? Am I good enough for him? Am I savable? Am I to be thrown out? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. He restores Peter for work and for mission now to be a world changer in the meantime. May he do the same for you and for me. Let's pray. Gracious Father, loving Jesus, comforting pre presence of the Holy Spirit, thank you for not making this project of your creation in vain. Thank you for making the meantime valuable and worthwhile. Thank you for making this world and the world to come about embracing life to its full. As Jesus said, I've come to give you life, to give it abundantly. We pray that we could step into this abundance of life, both now in our quarantine and now during our earthly sojourning and in the world to come. That we would be witnesses, that we would be people who use this meantime well, because we're loved and commissioned by Jesus. Even though we've betrayed him and even though we've failed him, he asks us to get involved in his work, to feed his lambs, to feed his sheep, to take the Holy Spirit as the gift that it is and to go throughout the world witnessing about what he has done. Help us to be people who major in Jesus, who are soaked in him and in his presence. Do this by the power of your spirit, and through the presence of Jesus who said he would never leave us or forsake us and that he would be with us to the end of the age. We thank you because we know that these promises are trustworthy and true. In the name of Jesus we pray and together all of us say, Amen.